kids gather back, we could continue to fellowship all night. Uh, that is uh, just one of the joys we have in this community. Uh, but we uh, will transition now into our forming time, and or not. I got it. If I'm outruled, then we will continue to fellowship for a little while. As you are seated, uh, the ushers are going to pass around uh, the, commu- uh, the communication cards, the pew pads, I don't, we, folders, what, the attendance registers, how about that? Uh, please fill them out, pass them down, pass them back. If you don't know the name of the person in your row who you're sitting by, then you can look in the pad and you will know their name and you can greet them by name after the worship service or during the interaction time. If you are married to the person sitting next to you and you don't know their name, then that will also help your marriage probably a little bit, um, your relationship. So, uh, yes, uh, we will uh, uh, continue. Yes, if, if you... Um, yeah. Uh, We will also uh, dismiss the young people if they haven't already gone um, to their experience, uh, tailored uh, for young people K through fifth grade, and also have nursery care available. Of course, all young people are welcome to stay during the majority of our worship. Well, let us have a word of prayer as we transition now to our forming time. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day in the midst of a cold um, and stormy fall. We thank you for this beautiful weekend. We ask that you help us make the most of it, that we can truly give you thanks and joy and use that during these winter months to just keep us refreshed and renewed and regenerated. Help us now. Give us the strength we need to uh, truly open our ears, truly open our hearts, open our eyes to your word to see how we can truly live people with new life, how we can truly walk in the newness of life, how we can truly walk as disciples of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, I want to welcome you to our forming time. I am Mark Myers. Uh, I am the teaching pastor here at New Life. also want to welcome those listening online and those joining us via podcast. If you don't know what that is, um, go online. And uh, check that out. That's something we do that's pretty cool. And we have people all over the country and actually all over the world listening to our forming time. Uh, We are in the final week of our four-week series, Extravagant Generosity, The Heart of Giving. I want to ask a question as we begin our time. How do you want to be remembered? How do you want to be remembered? This week, Jennifer and I had the opportunity to Uh, be at the memorial service or the funeral service uh, for the patriarch of a family who has affected my life in so many ways. Remember last week or two weeks ago, excuse me, we talked about uh, people who have affected our spiritual lives and uh, this family has affected my spiritual life. Almost every member of that family has uh, just grown me spiritually and, and reached out to me spiritually. Uh, and their their father, the patriarch of their family, passed away uh, this week, and we were able to celebrate him. Uh, and Al, in this celebration at the Seneca Fire Department, was remembered by his family, and he was remembered by his friends, and he was remembered by the uh, Veterans Association, the American Legion, and he was remembered by the fire department. And if you've never been to a firefighter memorial, of course, you've probably heard on the news this week about um, firefighter uh, Johnson who uh, passed away in Chicago in a fire. And, and how they remember each other is, is just so, uh, so wonderful and so beautiful and, and uh, just brings honor to that position uh, because they think it's important to be remembered, especially for what they do. Uh, and, and so it got me thinking as I was sitting there, and, and it always makes me think, When I sit at a funeral, maybe I'm more morbid than some of you are, but it makes me think, how do I want to be remembered? When I meet with a family before a funeral, and I am thankful that I haven't had one in a while, that's one of the perks of kind of having a newer congregation, so nobody 
no, jinx that. <laughs> if, if you can help it. I know we don't have a lot of control over it, but, you know, you know we talked about bacon double cheeseburgers a couple weeks ago, so just go easy on that. So. so when I meet with a family before a funeral, I often ask them, describe your loved one in one word or phrase. Uh, you know, I, I love to listen to stories, and I love to... Um, you know, kind of hear about their life. You know, if I know them, it's a little different, but often I'm called to do funerals for people that I've never met, um, and, and I do that as a ministry, uh, as part of my position, as part of my calling. I, I like to reach out to people in that way. And, and when, I, when I meet with a family, with a group of people, I often hear words like, uh, they were kind, hardworking, that's very common, caring, compassionate, they were a family man or a family woman. They loved their family. Depends on the funeral. <laughs> if it's a good funeral, there's going to be a few jokes. If it's not a good funeral, then there's going to be a fist fight. And I have been to both. That's a different story. When I think about how I want to be remembered, three words come to mind. Uh, when my family gathers around, when my loved ones are asked that, I want to be remembered with three words. Love, loyalty, and generosity. I want to be remembered as someone who loved God and loved other people. Not as someone who was loved, although it kind of goes back and forth, doesn't it? I want to be remembered as someone who is loyal, Loyalty is exceptionally important to me. Loyal to my spouse, to my family, to my friends, to institutions like the church, places I work. Always been exceptionally loyal. And I want to be remembered as someone who is radically and unapologetically generous. And maybe that more than anything. Tonight, because at least once a year I have to talk about it, we're going to talk about giving and generosity. And how these things are not just things that I'm trying to convince you to do, but are actually declarations of your heart. A heart that has been transformed and lives, <coughs> excuse me, in new life with Jesus Christ. So let's talk about generosity. We've been talking about generosity uh, kind of off and on for a few weeks now. Generosity is the act of being generous which doesn't tell you anything. I, I talked with some people this week, you know, what's the difference between generosity and giving? And there is a difference. Generosity is giving something without expecting anything in return. Generosity is investment without getting dividends. You understand that? Generosity is giving without receiving. Or, or at least without ex expectation of that uh, reciprocity. That, uh, certainly, we, when we're generous, we often do receive. But it is without you know, lending, without expecting anything in return. So why is it so hard? You know, we were created to be generous. I truly believe that. We've talked about that. It seems like we want to be generous. Why is it so hard to be generous? Why is it so hard to give? Well, I believe there are two voices that compete in our lives with our kind of natural want and desire to give. The first voice is a voice of fear. It's the voice that says, if you give away what is yours, you won't have enough to feed your family, to pay the bills, to care for uh, the people you love, to uh, pay for all of those things that you need to live your life. It's a pretty, uh, pretty strong and, and, and realistic voice in our lives. The second voice is one of self-gratification. It's the voice that says, if you don't keep for yourself, you won't be able to have the things that you want, the things that you would like, the things that bring you happiness. It's the voice that says, if I give away, I won't be able to have I won't be able to buy what I want. But God voices a different opinion. In the familiar words, 
in John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. Not only did God give everything to us because God loved us, but he did so seeking nothing in return. God gave his only Son, and there's not saying that he was seeking anything in return. You see that in the verse? It says, For God so loved the world, God loved, that he gave his only Son. And, and then it doesn't say, so that people would love him. Or so that if you did, then they would be great. No, it says, God loved the world, he gave his only Son. He was generous, he gave without expecting anything in return. Now, the interesting thing is, that would have been enough. But God also gives us another generous act. He says, if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. God also gives us eternal life without expecting anything in return. You know, there's, there's a commercial out there. I don't know. I, I have an iPhone. I'm an iPhone user. Um, but I'm not hateful against, you know, uh, droid users like, like some of you are. Um, or some of you droid users are. I know how it is. It's okay. It's, it's worse than politics, isn't it? But we can all love each other. But there's a, there's a droid commercial that's making fun of the iPhone. And there's a whole bunch of people who are standing in line for the iPhone 5. Have you seen that commercial? They're standing, and there's, there's actually several of them. They're ridiculous, and it's for the droid, uh, the Samsung Galaxy uh, S3, great phone. And um, there's a guy standing in line for an iPhone 5, and the, the, the joke is the iPhone 5 really isn't any different than the iPhone 4. That's the thing Samsung's trying to say. And there's a guy standing in line, and he says, this year, the headphone jack is on the bottom. And he goes, like his brain exploded. Right? Well, if that's all it takes to make your mind just explode, I'm pretty sure this passage and this act of generosity is the kind of moment, isn't it? God gave us, his only son, uh, uh, an act of generosity, and God gives us eternal life, an act of generosity not expecting anything in return. As people walking in that new life, in that eternal life, we are called to be generous. God doesn't say you have to be, but we are transformed, and so we kind of revert back to our intended state, which was generous. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, and Second Corinthians uh, chapter 8 is actually all about giving. And so you might think this, this verse doesn't have anything to do with giving, but if I read the entire chapter, uh, you can go home and read the entire chapter. I encourage you to. Uh, it's all about giving. But he says this, Paul says this, Show them proof of your love. <coughs> and the reason we are proud of, in such a way that the churches can see it, Show them proof of your love in such a way that other people can see it. And he's talking about giving. He says, Jesus showed us love by giving us something. God showed us love by giving us Jesus. Jesus showed us love by going to the cross, living, dying, and rising for us. God shows us love by sending the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows us love by equipping us with gifts. We are shown love by the gift of eternal life. Paul says, if you want to show love, and remember God is love, remember Jesus says love God, love each other. Paul says, proof of love is in giving. Our giving is our proof of love our love of God, and our love of neighbor. So we give because God gave, 
And both acts of generosity, God's gifts and our gifts, flow from love, the love we were created with. So with that understanding of generosity, I hope that kind of gives you a a foundation of generosity. I want you to spend a few minutes uh, with each other, uh, with your neighbors, and answer these two questions. What influences you to be generous? And how has generosity affected your life? So those two questions. So talk about those. We'll spend a few minutes in our time. We'll play some music, maybe. And ask those two questions. What influences you to be generous? How has generosity affected you?
All right, let's uh, gather back. I uh, hope you had some good discussions about generosity, how generosity has affected you. I continue to uh, encourage you, share those stories if generosity has affected you in a really powerful way. Uh, other people need to know that. I, you know, I have a story that I'll share with you, uh, but I, I really think that those stories uh, can really affect people and help people grow. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit more about specifically uh, generosity through giving. Uh, remember I said, you know, God gave us uh, his son. God gives us eternal life, uh, not expecting anything in return. But just like with any gift, you know, when we're given something so wonderful, uh, you know, we have a desire in our heart uh, to give back, to uh, show love, you know, to prove our love. Uh, God doesn't require it, but we just have that in our heart. Uh, and you have that in your relationships. Uh, so our, our theology of giving is fairly simple. Everything we have is a gift from God. Uh, that includes our resources, our families, and our lives. Uh, that's sometimes hard for us to wrap our heads around because we're self-made people. We you know, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's fine. But we as Christians believe everything we have is a gift from God. Uh, whether we built it or not, that's fine. Some, some, some of it came from God. I was going to say something political, but I'm going to back away from that. That's all done. Um, you know, God is the one who created uh, all of creation, and all of that that we have comes from that wonderful and generous gift. Um, so when you begin to see things as gifts from God, your natural response is that generosity, is that gratefulness, is that uh, desire to... Um, you know, show your love in return. Uh, the Bible teaches us that God made humanity to be stewards of the earth and its resources, but also reminds us that we're merely tenants, tenants of the earth and we own nothing on it. Uh, so we are managers of the resources God has given us. The goal for us as Christians is to understand how to use those resources and how to honor God with those resources. Throughout the Bible, people responded to God by giving back their first fruits, something that later, became, or later became, uh, called tithing. Ancient people would give back to God some of their harvest, so they would uh, you know, harvest the fields, and the first grain, the first fruit, they would give to God. They would burn and offer that to God. Uh, you know, their uh, flock, they would gather in their sheep. They would give the first calf to God, the first animal um, they, they would give their first uh, and their best back to God. Uh, if they would have spoils of war, even, we have, read in the Bible, they would give uh, the best and the first back to God. Uh, this was the first instance, um, or, or we find, excuse me, the first instance of giving 10% or tithing in the Old Testament. After a successful battle, uh, Abraham, Father Abraham, returned and gave 10% of the spoils of war to a priest of, the God of the, uh, a priest of the God Most High. That tradition continued on, and you see it in his children and his children's children, and you see it throughout the Old Testament, and it eventually became law. So after God freed the Israelites, he gave Moses the law, which is we generally consider the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, and in Leviticus 27, God declares, All ties from the land, whether of seed from the ground or fruit from the trees, belong to the Lord. They are holy to the Lord. So that's the Old Testament idea of tithing, giving your first fruits, giving 10% of what you have back to God. Sometimes when we talk about tithing, people are very quick to say, Well, Jesus never talked about tithing, which is true. Jesus never talked about tithing. But Jesus talked a lot about money, actually. Jesus talked a considerable, uh, considerable amount about money. If I start slurring my words and pass out, somebody call an ambulance. Uh, feeling okay right now. <laughs> just, just making sure, you know, everybody's on the same page. When asked how to obtain eternal life, Jesus told a young man, Sell everything you own and give it to the poor. The early church said and confirmed it in their actions. They sold all their property and possessions and distributed the proceeds to everyone who needed them. 
In fact, there's a story in the book of Acts where there was a couple who wanted to join the church, become part of the church, and you know they were encouraged to sell everything they had and give it to the church for the common good. And they kept something for themselves. And they were called in, St. Peter, the disciple Peter, called them in and first called in the husband and said, have you really given everything to God? And he said, oh, yes, yes. And he dropped dead right there. And next he called in the wife and he said, have you really honestly given everything to God? And she said, oh, yes, yes. And she also died. And I'm not making, that's actually in the Bible. Um, Now, none of you will die to my knowledge if you do not tithe or give everything you have to the church. But I'm saying they were pretty serious about it in the New Testament. Um, So some people say, you know, tithing's an Old Testament thing. We're New Testament people. I'm not sure we want to be New Testament people because that means giving up everything. Um, You know, so let's start by being Old Testament people and we'll work our way to the New Testament well, you, we, we all are going to die. But I'm, I mean, if you don't give all of your money to the church, I don't think you'll immediately drop dead like the people in that story did. That is my hope. I, I'm not going to guarantee that. Um, depends, on, depends on what God is, is calling you to do, I suppose. So we, we hope that someday, and, and, and truly, we will have to give everything we we have to God someday, won't we? Um, but we believe that tithing is a good start, and, and we want to take a little practical look at what tithing is all about. Uh, tithing, especially in the Old Testament, in the tradition of the church, was a floor. Uh, no good Jew gave 5%. They all gave 10%. That was the, the bottom um, of it. It wasn't the top. Now, I realize that, you know, as uh, modern Americans, that is not where we all are. Uh, but... I encourage you to work towards that idea of tithing, that giving 10%. I encourage you to look at your giving from a percentage understanding. I encourage you to actually look at your life and your finances. It, it amazes me how many people don't know what they spend. or I, I mean, your, like your bills and your things that are every single month. I mean, I know exactly what I spend every month. I don't necessarily know how much I spend on vitamin water or, you know, groceries from, from week to week. I mean, I can figure all that out. But in terms of, you know, I know what my car payment is and I know what the house uh, payment is and I know what my electrical payment is and I know what my phone bill is and I know all those things. And uh, it scares me when I, I encounter people who have really no idea what they're spending, uh, no idea how much debt they're in. And, and if that is your case, uh, you know, find somebody to work with. Uh, work with me, work with a banker. Uh, there are great people in this congregation who are skilled in that, um, who, I, who I know can help you uh, because that is uh, first and foremost. Get your finances under control. Get your debt under control. God is not calling any of us to be in debt. Uh, God is not calling us to be slaves to debt, uh, first and foremost. Uh, but once you, you know, once you figure that out, once you, you, know, you understand who, how you're living, you understand how you're giving, uh, and, and once you reach that, you know, tithing is then just the beginning. Uh, Jesus commands us to give to the poor, to give to the widows, to give to orphans, to use the resources we have to fight injustice, poverty, hunger, and other evils that keep us from truly living in the kingdom of heaven. So what does that all mean to God? You know, does God doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, expect us or, or you, know, we, you know, we tithe, therefore we get eternal life. That's not how it works. Uh, but tithing is one way we can honor God. Before people even started to gather in worship, before, before we had churches, before we got together in communities, before we started singing songs, before we uh, honored God with words, before we could even speak, people would sacrifice things to honor God. They would sacrifice food. They would burn food. They would sacrifice an animal. They would burn that animal. Do you think those, that smell of that burnt uh, animal or that smell of that burnt grain, do you think that pleased God? Do you think that made God happy? 
It wasn't the death of an animal or the smell of burning grain, but it was the action of the faithful that showed God, that was proof of the love they had for us. Remember, Christ says, love God and love your neighbor. How can we show that love? It's not a requirement, but it should be a declaration of our heart. But giving doesn't just please God. It doesn't just prove our love to God. I believe it actually transforms us. I believe it helps us live into that new life that we're always talking about. I think it actually makes us better disciples. And men, I've known more men who have become followers of Jesus Christ because of the first time they gave or because of the first time they tithed. Because we like our money. I mean, we like to, because we worked for it, and it's ours, and so there. And, and it's true. And I've known so many men who, yeah, you know, mission trips are great, and yeah, we did Bible studies, and church is nice, and all that stuff. But that first time, I actually wrote a check for 10% of what I got paid this week. Something turned on changed in my heart. Known a lot of men that that was the case. Known a lot of women in, in, in that case too. Yeah. That's great, Todd. That's great. Helped you out. Well, we're glad you're here. We're glad John's here too. Now, when I when I was a child, I was taught to tithe. It was just something we did. I was given an allowance, and I tithed on that allowance. When I uh, got my first job, I tithed on that. I, I gave ten percent of my income to God. That was something I was taught in my family. It was something you did. As I got older, I stopped tithing because I, I didn't have a lot of money. I figured God would understand, and I thought I could probably use that money better. You know, I figured I could probably find more ways to use it. I figured I could um, understand my own situation better than God, uh, but the reality was I didn't. I wasted that money. I didn't save it or use it or buy anything important with it. I just went through it. I, I continued to misuse resources and money, even if I didn't have a lot. So when I entered ministry, I decided to be, uh, be active in my tithing again. The first year in ministry, the first year uh, as a senior pastor or as a solo pastor, I made $15,000. Good, good pastor money. It was, it was, that was good times. So I gave fifteen. dollars $100 back to the church. I, I gave that gift to God through the church. You understand how that works. Uh, there, there's no address for God, so we as the church act as that address through the ministry that we do. So that was then. But when I actually gave to God, when I was making $15,000, and, and I put that money first towards God, funny how every else, everything else seemed to work out. All my other resources seemed to fall into line. All my bills seemed to get paid. You know, I probably spent close to $7,500 just on gasoline in those years, driving back and forth from Maple Park to Evanston. I don't know how I lived. I don't know how I ate. I, I really have no idea how I paid the bills. But everything got worked out. Everything figured out. It seemed when I put my gift first to God, something changed in me. And I started to understand what I had in a whole different way. Now, what I'm about to tell you, I'm not about to tell you to uh, brag or to, um, 
uh, I don't know, to boast or any way. I'm telling you this because I truly, truly believe in tithing. And I truly believe it changes you. And I know not everybody's there, but I truly believe it is a good place to be. And I truly believe if you are facing obstacles in your discipleship, if you're at a place where, man, I, I want to I wanna know Jesus more, I want to experience him more, and you're not tithing, I, I'm, uh, it's about 95%. That's the obstacle that you're running into. Because money is the thing Jesus talked about almost more than anything. Because we are so caught up in it. Lord, we've all lived through this election for the last, what seems like, about a millennium. And all of it's been about money. $3 billion, $4 billion just on the presidential campaign. Spent by nameless corporations and exceptionally rich people and even uh, middle class folks and poor folks raising money to help go towards that $4 billion that was spent on advertising. And we've talked about those issues, those issues of, you know, the economy and the economy and the economy and the wars and how much all that money costs. We are obsessed with money. So something changes when we say, this ain't mine. It's God's. So what I'm about to tell you is Jennifer and I's commitment to God through new life. And I tell you that because tonight I'm giving you the opportunity to make a commitment as well. You don't have to do that tonight. I encourage you to go home, pray, talk about it, plan. Uh, but I'm going to give you these for the first time tonight. You have them with you, the estimated giving cards. We'll talk about them in a bit. But I want to make sure that you know where I stand. And that I'm not just telling you, yes, hey, you should give 10% to the church because I like to make money. Or, you know, I, I want to stay here because, believe me, I can go other places. I have different jobs, other things they can do. I do want to be here. And I will find a way to be here no matter what comes through this congregation and no matter how uh, we have to do it. But I talk about tithing because I truly, honestly believe that it is one of the best tools we have for discipleship. So this year I have the figures up on the screen. I will have the figures up on the screen. That's the next slide. My gross income next year will be $33,500. That is a pastor minimum wage, in case you were wondering. I can't make any less than that. I, I would if I could. That's the minimum. You have to pay me that. Can't pay me any less. $33,500. Jennifer will make... Uh, $53,000. So, you know, some of you say, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have a salary. You know, I, I get paid as a salary, um, you know, an annual salary. Some of you say, well, you know, I don't get paid. You know, I, I get paid hour to hour. Uh, Jennifer gets paid hour to hour as well. So what do we do? We look at our tax returns last year. That's how much Jennifer made last year. We expect she will make maybe the same next year. Uh, she may not. We're talking about maybe uh, having her uh, lower her hours at work. But this is going to be our pledge because that's what uh, we believe God is calling us to do. Now, that is our gross income. That is before taxes, before Social Security, before deductions, and we get medical flex and housing exclusions and all kinds of great things, believe me. So our, our net income becomes about $65,000. So that is our gross income. Uh, you know, some people ask, okay, do you tithe on your gross income? Do you tithe on your net income? Pastor Don taught me from, from Roscoe, and now Pastor Don serves Harlem, Pastor Don taught me, well, the difference between tithing on your gross income and your net income is whether you want gross blessings or net blessings. So that's, I don't think, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. That's what Pastor Don taught me. Uh, Jennifer and I have decided to tithe on our gross income. So our gross income, $86,500. Our tithe to new life, 10%, 86.50. Uh, you don't see us putting any money in the offering plates. We do that electronically. Uh, it goes uh, right through our paycheck. I don't see that money, which is good, because uh, then there's no way for me to spend it. Uh, it. It goes into the bank. It comes right to the church. Uh, thank God, because I can't mess that up. 
Uh, beyond that, Jennifer and I give 3% of our income, which will be $2,595 uh, $2, this year, to various charities, the poor, actually other churches, those in need. Uh, those are the things we choose. Uh, so that's our offering. You know, we talk about tithes and offerings. So we give our 10% our tithe, and we give our 3%. That's our offering. Now, we've grown that 1% every year. When Jennifer and I got married, we, we just tithed. And Jennifer has continued to push me in this area because she is much stronger in giving and generosity than I am. And so she has continued to push me and push me. And so we have continued to increase our giving um, by a little bit each year. So when I look, and when things get tough, that $11,000 is a pretty substantial amount of money. And it's a pretty tempting and inviting amount. Actually, I've never, I have, but I generally do it by month, so I'd never actually see it in its total to really notice that's kind of the kind of money we're talking about because month to month, you know, it doesn't really look that bad. But then when you look at it like that, it's, it's pretty money <laughs> that I'm not going to see this year. Let's just wave it goodbye. But seriously, you know, when, when a two-year-old's dropped off at your doorstep, it's, it's real easy to justify, oh, you know, we could use that money for God's glory. Or when, when you're you know, overwhelmed with medical bills because you really feel like you're following God's call in your marriage, it'd be really tempting to go back on, on that and say, well, we could use that, that money for God's glory in a different way. Or when your house doesn't seem big enough or your car isn't new enough, keep seeing car commercials, cars keep doing more and cooler and cooler things. Or everyone else gets to go to Disney World. That is a nice place. All that money that you intended to give to God can disappear real fast. But all of those things don't give us anything in the end, do they? And even in life, they only give us temporary satisfaction. They only give us minimal satisfaction. That I believe giving... And tithing is something that gives us something that no one can take away. Something that can truly change us. You know, I do a lot to honor God, to show God that I love Him. I pray, and I do devotionals, and I pray, and I do more devotionals, and I read the Scripture, and I study Scripture, and I, I do all kinds of things. But giving is the only thing I've ever done consistently well. Giving is the only habitual act of love I have never failed in God since I've been in ministry, I'll say. Because I fall back on my praying. I fall back on my devotion. Sometimes I don't give Scripture the time and energy it needs. Sometimes my heart's just not into my devotionals. Sometimes I'm just not <coughs> feeling well, right? Sometimes daylight saving times come and your son decides to wake up at 4 o'clock every morning for a week. That doesn't put you in a good mood. And so when you don't wake up in the morning, it's not, Hello, Lord, thanks be to God. It's easy to fall back on those things, and I know you, you all do many things to honor and love God. But I can honestly say for me, this is the one thing I will never fail at. Mostly because my wife keeps me accountable on it. But I know that gift goes every month. And I honor God every month and that changes me, and that continues to grow me, and it continues to grow our relationship. It's not an act of my will. It is a declaration of my heart. 
So I want to leave you with one last thought tonight. Tithing is difficult. It's a, you know, I don't talk about it 52 weeks a year because, you know, we get bored with it easily. But it is important. God loves each and every one of us. God became human and lived among us in the person of Christ Jesus. He taught us a lot of things, yes, good things. But ultimately, he died for our sins so that we could have new life. We talk about that all the time. The thing I want you to think about tithing, Christ didn't give us 10%. He didn't give us an arm and a leg or a foot. He, he, he wasn't just arrested, and he wasn't just beaten, and he wasn't just scourged. He wasn't just humiliated. He wasn't just put on trial. He gave his entire life for each one of us, for you and me. He gave 100%. And if you truly want to experience new life, at some point in your life, as Todd reminded us, you will have to give 100%. You will have to let go of what you have. I'm, you're going to die. That's what I'm saying, in case you haven't figured it out. We're on the same page. You can't keep that with you. If you want to truly live in the resurrection, you will have to let go of what is old and take on what is unending and imperishable. So I, I just encourage you to work to grow in your generosity. It is proof of your love. Yes, yes, in giving and financial giving, but also in giving in so many different ways. It is proof of your love. If you say you love someone, that's wonderful, and I encourage you to Tell each other that you love each other. I love each of you. I truly do. I love this congregation. Thank you. It's nice to hear it. But if that is not met with actions, if that's not met with proof in generosity, then sometimes words can be meaningless. So my prayer, not just for my life, but my prayer for this church is that we, New Life, will be a church that when people write about us, they'll say, New Life, that's a church that's generous. That's a church defined by generosity. Amen. Uh, Hopefully, in your uh, New Life notes, you were given an extravagant generosity estimated giving card. Um, going to probably mail some of these out. We'll have them here for the next couple weeks, too. I'll have some up here if you uh, need one. Take this home. Read this. Uh, think about it. Uh, what, what we're trying to do is to get a sense of uh, your uh, estimated giving, that's why we call it estimated giving, what you think you can give to New Life next year, 2013. If you are a, a faithful part of this community, if you are a, a visitor or a guest, we do not encourage you to fill out one of these. Um, if you are from another congregation, again, New Life is a gift to you. Uh, this is not part of that, uh, what we're doing. But for those who are faithful, committed parts of New Life, I uh, do encourage you to give us an estimate of your given, giving. We do that so that we can be faithful to our budget for next year, which is $140,000. We do have a gift from, a generous gift from Roscoe for $30,000, and hopefully a equally generous gift from our conference of $30,000. That is not in cement yet. Um, that does leave us $80,000. So uh, we, you know, we want to understand, and minus 11 or 8,650, um, but we, we do want to understand uh, how much we have to work with, what kind of ministry we can do, uh, and in this case, really, how much money we need to raise to do the ministry we need to do, because uh, we, we will look to, to probably raise the difference so that we can do $140,000 worth of ministry. Uh, and I will bring, uh, and maybe 
uh, if I send things out to you, break down kind of what that budget looks like and uh, where, where that money is going and what kind of ministry that is doing. So uh, as we um, collect our offering uh, again tonight, our tithes and offerings, I do thank you for your giving. Uh, thank you for your generosity. This congregation has been exceptionally generous. Do encourage you, <coughs> if you know what your giving is going to be, Fill one of these out, put them in the offering baskets, give them directly to me. I will be the only one that reads them, who looks at them. Um, if that changes throughout the year, that's fine. We're just trying to get a best guess so we can be as good stewards as uh, we can with your money uh, and with the resources God has given us to do this a wonderful ministry. Um, again, we'll, we'll have opportunities in the next week. We would like them... Uh, by the first week of December, we would like everybody to have these filled out. So uh, take some time, really get a sense of where you are um, in, in your finances and where you are coming up to next year. That's a good thing to do regardless, isn't it? Um, as we come into a new year to understand where we are uh, and where we might need to change in our lives. So uh, let us begin, uh, or t- transition, excuse me, to the last part of our worship service uh, with a prayer. Let us pray. Lord, God of love, hear our prayers. We come to you with thanks, praising you for generous acts. Thank you for all of creation, including each of our lives. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the new life he offers us. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit, the gift it bestows upon us and the ways in which it continues to guide us in our new life. We ask that you create in us generous hearts, that we may share the grace and love you have shown us time and time again. Therefore, we ask a blessing on all those who have lifted up in prayer this week. Help us be vehicles of your love in their lives. We pray for those who suffer, that we may be your healing hands. We pray for all those who face injustice, that we may show them mercy. We pray for all those under impression, that we may offer them freedom through Jesus Christ. We lift up the leaders of our world, this nation, and our country. Help us support them and help them become servant leaders, so that we may all come closer to your kingdom. Fill all your servants with your inexhaustible love, our military men and women, our firefighters, our police and safety workers, those who serve in our community and serve us on a regular basis, help us serve them in love this week. Send your Holy Spirit to this place now. Let each person here tonight be filled with your Spirit, that we may experience your perfect love which casts out doubt and fear. Make us one like you are one. Continue to build your church, both here at New Life and in all places, and encourage us in our commission to make disciples. 